Hello, my name is Eva, and today I am going to delve into the history and traditions of Morden's Aften, as it is known in Denmark, and Martin's Eve, as it might be translated. In Scandinavia, many celebrations take place on the eve preceding the actual feast day. So, for example, Christmas Eve is the day where Christmas is observed and celebrated. The 4th of May is the evening preceding the liberation of Denmark from Nazi occupation, which happened on the 5th of May 1945. But it is on the 4th of May that candles are lit in the windows to commemorate the liberation. And so it is with Martin's Eve, which is celebrated on November the 10th, the evening before the Feast of Martin, which is, of course, on November the 11th. Yes, that is all a little confusing, but it is tradition, and I have always been fascinated with why certain traditions stick and why certain traditions become popular in certain areas. And that is what I will talk about in the latter half of this episode. In order to set the traditions of Martin's Eve in context, it is necessary to first explore a little bit about Martin the man. For Martin's day is marked for the 4th century Martin of Tours, a bishop to whom several miracles and legends are attributed, the most famous, I think, being Martin cleaving his cloak in two to give one half to a beggar, only for the beggar to reveal himself as Jesus. Martin is notable as being the first person of the early Catholic Church to be declared a saint without having suffered a martyr's death. Martin's date of birth is somewhat debated, and even his contemporary biographer, the scholarly priest Severus, does not state it precisely. However, most historians put his date of birth between 316 and 336, which is arguably a very large margin. What we do know is that Martin was born in Pannonia, a province of the then Roman Empire in present-day Hungary. His family worshipped the Roman gods. However, Martin was said to have willingly converted at ten years of age, and he in turn converted his mother when he was older, though his military veteran father stuck to the worship of Mithras, a belief very strong in the army. Martin served in the Roman army for several years until he retired to pursue a life within the church. His path took him to Tours, where he came under the tutelage of Hilary of Poitiers, a bishop of outspoken views, especially against Arianism, a theological doctrine which stood in opposition to central beliefs in the established church concerning the position of Jesus in the Holy Trinity. Now, it is beyond the scope of this episode to delve into the differences and clashes of belief in the early Christian church. But if you are so inclined, I would highly encourage you to pursue the knowledge of it, for it is endlessly fascinating. And, well, the always splendid podcaster, Mike Duncan, he of the recent Revolutions podcast, 
made a thorough rundown of Arianism in his first podcast series, The History of Rome. And just to be clear, we are talking about Arianism with an I, not Arianism with a Y. Anyway, following Hilary of Poitiers' banishment to Phrygia in 356, for his continued opposition to high-ranking bishops whom Hilary accused of heresy, Martin of Tours was left undefended against Hilary's enemies, who in time had become his enemies too. So Martin returned to Italy, and from there to his homeland of Pannonia in the east, though he too would experience banishment and public flogging for his opposition to Arianism. By 361, though, Martin was back in the West, and in 371, he was consecrated as Bishop of Tours. According to Martin's biographer, Martin was lured to Tours under the plea of praying for a sick Christian, and once he arrived in the city, he was taken to the church and consecrated bishop. According to a later version of this event, Martin, being at the time a hermit, was so reluctant to take on the position of bishop, being too humble a person, as it were, that he hid in a barn full of geese when the crowd came to make him bishop. But as he tried to hide from the crowds, the cackling of the geese gave him away, and consequently he was taken to the cathedral and made bishop. And I've always found this version the tiniest bit amusing. A man too humble to become bishop was not above being so vindictive that he would eat his betrayers year after year after he was consecrated. But why did he attempt to hide from the crowds who wished to have him as bishop? Well, assuming this story is even true, there might be several explanations that he was humble and thought himself not worthy might be construed as a religious answer and perhaps even a psychological answer or perspective on Martin as a man. But there may be other angles worth exploring. As mentioned, Martin's mentor, Hilary of Poitiers, made powerful enemies in the years that he lived in the Tour area. Enemies who viewed Martin in the same hostile light as they viewed Hillary. Enemies who were still alive and unfriendly in 371 when Martin was made bishop. The official version was always that Hillary of Poitiers was banished for his religious zeal. Yet historians have uncovered his possible involvement in the numerous plots against the then Emperor Constantine II, with Hilary denouncing the emperor and even supporting a usurper to the empire. It seems the banishment might very well have been politically motivated by groups of men with swords at the ready and the emperor's support at hand. Sir Martin might well have been wary of this group who usually rid themselves of their problems by assassination. And Martin might have suspected that he had been lured to Tours in order to be done in, 
it was, after all, said of the devout Zeno of Verona, who died in that same year, 371, that he had suffered a horrific end after being lured to death by his enemies. So, hiding might have been a response to the politics of the day, something Martin had attempted to avoid getting involved in by living as a hermit between 361 and 371. According to his biographer, Martin might have actually wished to return to his homelands in the East, rather than take up a bishopric in the western part of the Roman Empire. Because the western part of the empire, Tours especially, was a focal point for the many internal and external geopolitical struggles in the empire, which would one century later result in the disintegration of the western Roman Empire, while the eastern part of the Roman Empire, from whence Martin hailed, functioned far better. In the East, there were also stronger and more powerful allies against the doctrine of Arianism. So one can only speculate that it might not have been humility which caused Martin to hide among the geese, but ambition. Ambition to be nearer powers which would allow him to fight Arianism far more prominently. We cannot know this for certain. What we do know is that the legend of Martin hiding among the geese came to be significant enough for it to be a central legend around Martin of Tours. In Denmark, it is the best-known legend about Martin, and it is this event which forms the basis for the celebration of the Danish Martin's Eve, or Martin's Aften. And it is interesting to explore why that may be. Geese were introduced to Denmark between 200 and 350 CE through the Roman trading routes. Geese quickly became a status symbol for the rich, with geese remains found in burial sites of the wealthy around this time. Geese were also among the cultural and agricultural exchanges between the areas of Danelaw and England during the early medieval period when Vikings settled in the English Isles. Geese rearing was known, even from antiquity, to be labour-intensive, meaning that geese demanded a large peasant household or a surplus of labourers. And events during the high medieval age lent themselves to support geese rearing in Denmark. For after the calamity of the Black Death in 1348, Danish labourers did not, as in England and elsewhere, experience a time of increased mobility and wages. On the contrary, estate owners in Denmark were able to enforce a form of refeudalization of the land, with freeholds for poorer peasants disappearing while many labourers were bonded to the land far more strictly than they were before. This meant that estate owners in the 15th century Denmark had more labourers at hand, could better control their enterprises, and more effectively crop out land for the raising of poultry like geese, which 
still at this time enjoyed high status but was now more easily available in quantity, especially around Martin's feast day of November the 11th when a 40-day fasting period commenced for the devout. Eating geese, a fat poultry compared to the leaner duck, was said to get the devout better through a period of fasting as the geese was associated with resilience and religious courage. German documents from the 1500s attest to the fact that eating goose on Martin's Eve was by then a well-established tradition in Denmark and northern Germany, while English documents from the 17th century recount the same tradition in the British Isles, with an emphasis here on the very size of the bird, which made it a spectacular culinary display, which at the time was of great importance at the king's table. Towards the 19th century, geese also found its way to the Christmas table in many parts of Scandinavia. However, by the mid-20th century, geese had largely been supplanted by duck, as the preferred poultry on Martin's Eve, duck being less expensive. And today, Danes talk of Martin's duck far more than they talk of Martin's geese. So, geese on Danish Martin's Eve, Martin's Aften, came to be a tradition because of the social, cultural and financial changes brought on by a natural catastrophe. So geese for Martin's Eve in Denmark, but just to compare, in Flanders it was Martin's Day, and this day was celebrated with horse riding, perhaps because Flanders horses were even in the medieval age famed for their quality, and horses were an integral part of many secular and religious festivals in that area for the duration of the Middle Ages. This was an exploration of the background for a tradition still observed today. I hope you liked this episode, and if you have suggestions for other topics, please let me know. My email is in the episode notes of the day. Until next time, I have been Eva, and thanks so much for listening.